that say I'm going down to Kansas City. It doesn't make sense to me, all right? Kansas City is north. You can't go down going north, Amen. right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Don't have to say anything else. We're done. All right. No. Um, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but we talked about Oklahoma City, right? And I did my homework. And are you ready for it? If anybody says they're going up to Oklahoma City, they are wrong on both counts because they are down in elevation compared to Wichita. Wichita's 1,300 feet, Oklahoma City's 1,200. So you're wrong on both counts. So get them out of here. Tell them, go to Oklahoma and stay. No. Uh, no, it's great. Um, I did have one person come up to me, though, another layer to this fun little discussion. Uh, they were like, well, sometimes you know, people living on the outskirts of a big city may say, I'm going up to the city, like I'm going east or west, I'm coming into the city. What do you guys think? Do we like it? Do we not like it? No. Nope? Okay. Nope, not about it. I thought it was interesting. I hadn't heard it, but they'll remain nameless so that a mob doesn't break out, okay? They live in California, don't worry about it. All right, let's move on. Um, hey, we're gonna continue on with Acts. We've been going through Acts. Um, we're gonna continue on with our passage, and we're gonna jump right into it because of time. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Verses 19 through 30. Acts chapter 11. Yep. Did I say Acts? Or did I say? <laughs> did I say Luke? Man, I kid you not. That's so funny. <gasps> That's hilarious. I have it in my notes as Luke. My bad. It is Acts chapter 11. I got to change that. I can't look at that. Golly. All right. Acts chapter 11. Got it. Verses 19 through 20. Here we go. Let's read it together. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, which is Acts chapter 8 for a reference, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem. Oh, gosh, Antioch is north of Jerusalem. Here we go again. All right, whatever, Luke. All right, from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Again, with context, just want to continue and to remind us of the context that in Acts, uh, chapters 10, 11, and 12 really act as these great transitional chapters uh, where we transition from the first, really, nine chapters that are all about Peter and they're all about the mission in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and really specifically to the Jews 
in those areas. But as we see with the story of Cornelius, the first really Gentile, at least as Luke will describe him, as the first Gentile to receive the Holy Spirit. And thus, as my dad was reading during communion, uh, Peter sees that God does not show favoritism to anyone, but accepts everyone, even Gentiles. And he has offered the gift of repentance and salvation to Gentiles. So we see that with Cornelius. And then as chapters 11 and 12 will do, they will transition to now Saul and Barnabas will take center stage. Peter, chapter 12, Peter's last little thing, and then we don't really see Peter again for the rest of Acts, but Saul and Barnabas take the center stage, and they start taking the message of the gospel uh, to all over the Roman Empire. It's quite beautiful. It's great. Acts is a wonderful story, and we want to keep that kind of context in mind. Now, some notes. I want us to kind of focus in. We're really going to hone in on verses 27 through 30 because I think they're really important. I think they're uh, just really uh, uh, prevalent for today and, and really good for us today. Um, it mentioned a famine. It mentioned a prophet that predicted a, a famine throughout the Roman world. And I want you to throw up a picture of the three, the three guys. All right? Here we go. You got Josephus over here. He's like, I got a new hat. I'm going to take a picture today. All right? You got Suetonius over here who's like, he's just like, golly, I'm getting my head sculpted again. Jeez, whatever. Leave me alone. You know? And then you got Tacitus over here who's been in the gym probably more than anywhere else in his life and just, you know, mm, take that sculpture right now. Love that. All right? Uh, th these three gentlemen, Tacitus and Suetonius, were Roman historians. Um, they both, in their writings, uh, Tacitus, the Annals, and then Suetonius, the Twelve Caesars, these are historical documents where they document during the time of Claudius a food shortage in the Roman Empire. Josephus does the same thing in Antiquities to the Jews. Josephus is a very, very, very important figure in the first century. Um, he was a Jew, and then you could maybe say to describe it, he defected to the Roman Empire, maybe is a good way of saying it, um, but he wrote a lot about the Jews, and he is really uh, a huge source for a lot of extra-biblical material about what was going on in that time period and in that region. So all three figures in all of these three works attest to a food shortage in the Roman world. I just threw it up there because, you know, sometimes I read the Bible and I was like, is it really true? Well, yes. Okay, we have people that also attest to what this guy did. There was a food shortage. What's awesome about this food shortage is that, um, okay, if a food shortage hits the whole entire Roman Empire, this is going to hit the disciples in Antioch. Did you catch that? So they're asking people who are going to be hit by a food shortage to give to other people who are going to be hit in a food shortage. Relevant illustration today, it would be like, hey, Derby has run out of eggs. People in Wichita, we need you to support them and give them eggs. Amen. Amen. Right? That might be a little bit tough. Well, eggs are expensive for us. Yes, but they don't have any eggs. Right? We could go even further with it and say, man, we're in a depression. Let's say we're in a depression. Hey, we're suffering over here. But guess what? These people over here are also suffering. And we want you to give to them as well. That really is the context of what is going on here. And really what makes uh, these disciples at Antioch so laudable is that they were going to suffer as well 
And they were being asked to give to others, and they did give. And it's so commendable, these disciples in Antioch. You know what's neat is that uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, the same Luke where we get the Gospel of Luke, uh, really uses money as his... uh, You could say, well, I'll give you the first point. Giving financially is Luke's measure of genuine faith. Let's let's start there. Giving financially is Luke's measure of genuine faith. If you were to read the book of Acts, you'll read episodes of disciples coming to know Jesus, right? And what usually follows, or at least commonly, is he will commend them or give you some type of something where it will be like, and they sold their house to give to others. They sold property to give to others. Right? He loves to use that illustration. It's important to him. If you were to go to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, you would notice that Luke has more to say about money than any other Gospel. He has more parables about money. Now this might be surprising because we would think Matthew, the tax collector, would say more about money, but it's not. Luke far outnumbers him. Some unique stories to the Gospel of Luke about money. The prodigal son. The prodigal son wants his wealth from his father. And what does he go do? He goes and squanders it. For Luke, that is a perfect illustration of just going the complete opposite direction. Being totally selfish, totally self-absorbed with your finances, and going the complete opposite direction. Another one, the, 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 the woman with, uh, what is it, two, two bits, two pence, two pence, two pennies? Right? Remember that story where the people come in, the rich, and they put a bunch of money in the tithe box. I don't know if they had tithe boxes, but essentially. And she comes in, she gives the two pennies, two copper coins, and Jesus commends her, not the other ones. Not the rich people putting the, the big bundle of money, but her. Again, you can start to see Luke's worldview. You can kind of see what he values, Right? We see this one more illustration. You recall in Luke, I want to say it's like Luke 10 or 11, somewhere around there. It talks about the man who built great barns for himself. Great big barns to store all of his wealth and his food, right? And then what happens? He dies. He doesn't get to enjoy it. And he doesn't get to have it. And it all just, there's nothing to him because he's dead. You can tell if you read the Gospel of Luke and you read Acts that money to Luke, how you deal with your finances, how you, what you do with them, is probably his measurement of genuine faith. Now this is interesting because I think you would ask, look at all the figures in the New Testament and they all have this to some degree. If you were to read the Gospel of John and 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, you would probably see his measurement of genuine faith is love. He's been known as the love disciple. It's all about love. How you love each other, that's how you can tell whether or not you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you got it. All right? That is John's major thing. What would Paul's be? What do you think Paul's would be? What do you think he would say is your measurement? The proof in the pudding. What do you think that would be for Paul? Man, fruit of the Spirit, right? Probably somewhere along the lines of fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And probably faith, hope, and love. That would be Paul. He'd say, I gotta see that. That's the proof in the pudding. 
right? Matthew, he'd be like, well, what are you doing for the kingdom of heaven? Are you living for the kingdom of heaven? Are you building the kingdom of heaven? Are you making disciples? Or are you not? That's probably where Matthew would go. Peter would probably say holiness. Holiness. You read First and Second Peter, holiness. Boy, holiness. That's the proof in the pudding. What's beautiful is that when you put these all together, you get this great, beautiful, well-rounded picture of what a disciple is meant to be. And really, the, uh, a disciple that has been transformed by the Holy Spirit, conforming to the image of Christ, because we see Christ encapsulating all of these images. And Luke's is important. It's important because he says what we do with our money matters. It's not, you know, we didn't purposely plan this. We just have been going through Acts for months, and it just landed on, got to talk about giving. And if you're newer to here to Live Oaks, we don't talk about giving probably maybe once a year, maybe not even sometimes a whole year, you know, if we just don't typically talk about giving. And it's not because we're afraid to or because, oh, it's a touchy subject, we don't want to go there. No, it's because, golly, the Lord has blessed us. The Lord blesses. He continues to bless us, and He has and uh, we're not talking about giving because we're about to talk about our budget and we're going to be like, we need people to give. We're doing great. We're doing great and you're going to see that after church. You're going to see, man, the Lord has blessed this church and we know it. And we're so grateful. But giving is a part of our discipleship. And as Luke would say, boy, you've got to talk about giving. This is important. Man, you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus talks about greed and money more than any other topic, more than sexual immorality. Talks about greed and money. He says, hey, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He doesn't say you can't serve God and sex, though I think he would agree you can't do that as well. But he said, I'm going to go for the, for the big one. Greed and money and me. Can't serve both. I think Luke hits on this subject continually, and he continually commends, and he uses it as a great illustration to show these are the disciples that get it. These are the disciples the proof is in the pudding. They are walking with the Lord. They have the Holy Spirit. Look at how they are giving. Look at how they are giving. You read back in Acts chapter 4. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? It's like a passage in Scripture where you're like, ooh, how do we talk about this one? <laughs> where they held back some of the tithe and they both died because they lied about their tithe. Can you see now why Luke would include a story like that? where he would say, this is horrible. Look at this. These are two people that didn't get it. These are two people that are not getting it. They're lying about their finances. Man, it's a sad thing. we got to talk about giving. I'll also make one note. I forgot. I want you to know, I don't know, have any clue who gives, who doesn't give, and how much, and for how many jelly beans, okay? I have no clue. Never want to know. Don't need to know, all right? Only those that in our staff office that have to deal with the money are the only ones that have any clue about it, and they have short-term memories, as they love to say. They don't dwell on it, and that's a great thing. So I want you to know, this isn't some passive way to hit at people or certain people. I have no clue, and I don't need to know. I don't want to know. But we've come to it in Scripture. We've got to talk about giving. And I want to encourage you. I don't want to put judgment on you. I don't want to make you feel too guilty, though I think guilt is not a bad thing, right? Godly sorrow is a good thing. It leads us to repentance. And if we have the humility to receive that guilt and to understand, yeah, maybe I'm not doing this as well as I should be or I'm not following the Lord as well. If you have the humility to receive that and to turn around and go in the right direction, boy, you are on the right track. 
And boy, you are getting it. And that is awesome, and I commend you for that. But don't, don't be hard-hearted tonight, this morning. Let's receive what the Lord has to say. And that first one is giving financially is Luke's measure of genuine faith. I encourage you, read Acts. Read the Gospel of Luke. There is no two ways of getting around it. I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you in that. Second thing, don't wait for an emotion. Just do it. All right? When I've uh, talked about giving, you know, it, inevitably it comes up in conversations. I remember in college that we had all these great debates about how much to give, what is it, you know, all these types of things. And a common one that came up was 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8, through 8, where it talks about God loves a cheerful giver. And I have genuinely heard it from the mouth of people that I only give when I feel like giving. <laughs> I only give when I have a cheerful heart, because Paul said that's the only time to give. And I'd like to really combat that for a huge reason, and that is emotions are fickle. Emotions are fickle. They are, are an odd thing, and I, I, I don't even understand them half the time, but golly, I look at my own life and think, if I only did what was right and good when I felt like doing what was right and good, that would not be good or right. <laughs> that would be bad. And if I just did whatever my emotions kind of were leading me to do, golly, man, Lord help everybody around me and everything around me, right? And Paul's not, he's not part of our, our postmodern individualism. He's saying, hey, yeah, I want you to give cheerfully. Boy, I want you to see great purpose and joy in this. But he's definitely not saying that you only give when you have this, I'm just so happy to drop this dive box, right? He's not saying that. And we can't wait for that. Our actions and our emotions, uh, they're so intertwined. They're so reinforcing of each other. It, it, it's just, we're just a product of our, of our really postmodern, post-romanticism era where we always feel like our hearts have to be in it. And if our hearts aren't in it, it's not genuine. Uh, that's just wrong. Paul would disagree with that. He would say, no, you've taken my words too far. And I would totally encourage you, learn as you go. Continue to renew your mind. Boy, continue to, to remind yourself of the truth as you're giving. And the emotions will follow. All right? I'm trying to think. I hated reading as a high schooler. I loathed reading. Reading was the worst. I kid you not. I did not like to read. But 10, 12 years later, I love reading. Emotions just kind of do that. Sometimes they're just weird like that. We don't understand them all the time. They don't always make sense, but boy, can we not be driven by these emotions. So I encourage you, learn as you go. The emotions will follow, I promise. But keep giving, because I think Paul would definitely be like, oh, you haven't given in a year? Well, I haven't felt like it. What? I, I kid you not, he would, you probably might have a heart attack. You're, you're missing the point, all right? So I want to encourage you. Our emotions are not our drivers, and they don't always tell the whole truth. But I encourage you, continue to do it. Continue to give. Those emotions will come, I promise. Keep re re renewing your mind as you give, and those emotions will come. Third thing, so generously. All right? That's again, also comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8. through 8. So generously. Uh, another thing, as I've talked about giving or debated people or talked about things, one thing that's come up is that the New Testament does not have a 10% explicit command. 
all right? It doesn't say give 10%. Paul doesn't say that. So people are like, I don't, you know, I can give whatever I want to, right? Here's what I have to say about that, all right? Raise your hand. If you give more in your income taxes than the government requires you to give. All right. You give more, so they require 20-some percent, and you're like, you know what? I want to give 30%, all right? Anybody like that? You're like, because I just love the government. I just want to give them more because they are just doing such a darn good job up there, all right? So here you go. I'm going to add another 10%. No, none of us do that. And at best, during this time of the year, we're like, if you're not getting the tax return, you're like, oh, this works. This hurts. Guys, let's not be foolish to our human nature. If God would have put another 10%, if Paul would have said that, then we would begrudgingly give that percentage, whatever it would be. And if we begrudgingly give, then we miss the point and the whole point and the whole spirit of giving. We will miss it. And I think that's why we don't get a percentage. Because Paul is a great, great pastor as well as theologian. And he knows human nature and he knows how we will gravitate towards the bare minimum. And we'll just do what we got to do so that we can get by and do the bare minimum, especially when it comes to finances. And Paul is brilliant. He knows what, what money does to people. He knows how hard it is, how, how much it's trying to master, and how really uh, uh, vulnerable each and every one of our hearts is towards money. And so he is not going to put this little barrier and say, oh, you just have to give 10%. Because he knows, boy, that would just create just as much of a hellion as it might a Christian. He's going after a whole life of giving. He wants you to have a whole life characterized by giving. And so he's not putting a, a standard on it because we would just gravitate towards the standard. He's saying so generously. And remember that Christ did it so much further for you. Christ became poor so that you could become rich. Use that as the example. He did not just, what's the bare, you know, God, what's the bare minimum? What do I got to do for these people? What's the bare minimum? Oh, I just have to die on a cross? Okay, I'm going to go chill in the desert, and then when it's time, I'll come out and we'll do this thing. No. Jesus did not do the bare minimum on our behalf. Boy, he went the extra distance. He went the full measure every time for us. And we do not want to get locked in to the bare minimum stuff. And that's as it pertains to anything. And I think that's why, again, if you read Paul's letters, he's so good at being very open-ended. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Okay, well, what does it mean to love? Well, love is patient. Well, love is kind. Well, okay, yeah, but like, what is it like? What's the bare minimum of love? Well, love never fails. Love never gives up. Right? Gosh, he's so open-ended. And I know some people are like, I love that. Other people are like, gosh, give me a little bit more like something to hold on to here, Paul. And Paul's like, hey, you just have to deal with it. All right? Stop trying to just do the bare minimum and, and start growing in love. Start growing in the grace of giving. Man, make your whole life about giving. I love Jeremy mentioned it in our, in our small group on Tuesday. Practice off the spot so you're ready to perform on the spot. 
Man, our giving our tithe is just one way, kind of like a spiritual discipline that we can practice giving so that when that opportunity smacks us right in the face, right when we're in real life, that we're just don't even think twice. Oh, here we go. Boom. There you go. Oh, man, what am I doing? Oh, I've been practicing giving my whole life. And I think that's what he wants us to get to. A whole life characterized by giving, not just 10%. I'll say as a pastor, that 10% is, 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 that's a great place to start. And I think my dad has always said that, and I'll echo that. It's a great place to start. It has precedent in the Old Testament. That's valuable. We definitely don't throw out the Old Testament. All right? There's value in that. But I think, again, Paul, Peter, Jesus would say, man, take that, but, but I, want you to, man, I want you to go even further than that. Right? What's the command to the rich young man? Sell all you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. What are the examples in Acts? These people sold their homes. Property. I don't think they had ten homes and they were like, I'm going to sell one home. Ten percent. I don't think so. Boy, they were selling so much. And again, even in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is commending the Macedonian Macedonian church. They gave out of their poverty, their extreme poverty. They still gave. That is a life characterized by giving. That is laudable, encouraging. And that should encourage us today. Does that make sense? If anybody had a question on the why doesn't the New Testament have 10% and why, where did that kind of stuff come from? That makes sense. Paul's a great pastor, pushing us into deeper, deeper waters. Man, it's fantastic. Um, the fourth thing, I want you to value the ministry of Live Oaks Church. We naturally spend money on the things we value. If you ever want to see what you value in your life, pull up your credit card statement and you will find exactly what you value in life because you will spend money on it. It's kind of a pretty easy way to find it. All right? So if you're, what do I value? I don't know. Just go pull it up. Go look at last year, 2022. Where did I spend? You know, get one of those pie charts. You know, one of those apps that like, you put a bunch of money over here and into these sectors. You value it. That's what you value. That is just how it works. If you were to look at my bill, you would see that I spend a lot of money on food, my body. All right? I, have, I buy expensive cheese. All right? I like to take care of this thing. I buy expensive cheese. I am not ashamed. I love my expensive cheese. Taking care of it, all right? I value the health of my body, all right? I buy books on how to take care of my body. I like to understand how my body works to make, take care of it. I spend money on collagen. I've been taking collagen, all right? My hair keep me youthful, all right? No. <laughs> I value it. I spend money on it. I want you to value the ministry of Live Oaks Church. I have the pleasure to be involved in a lot of different things here at Live Oaks. I'll tell you what, it's really amazing. I know not everybody's involved in everything, but golly, the ministries are fantastic. Our youth, man, we got some youth around here. How fun and how great. And it's exploding, and golly, we've had up to 30 kids at certain parties. And boy, they need Jesus. And their friends need Jesus. And their family members, some of them need Jesus. And we get to partake in that with them. We get to bless them. I love Peter. 
earlier in Acts, one of my favorite lines as I was reading through it, comes up to this man, this beggar, and he's asking for money, and he's like, you know what, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have, I give you, I give you. I give you, Lord Jesus Christ. I give you the grace. I'm going to mess it up. Now I've got to find it because I've messed it up. I underlined it, so I should be able to find it here in a second. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, walk. Oh, so neat. Golly, we have so many great ministries going on here at Live Oaks. The Lord is working. The Lord is building His kingdom through Live Oaks. The Lord is, is blessing people through Live Oaks. And, and you get to be a part of that. And I know we all take different roles. But financially, again, it's a great way to partake. And we need it. We need it. Uh, you know, Lacey's been doing youth ministry for 50 years, and she may not be able to do that for another 50 years. All right? And so we might have to bring on somebody else. That takes money. You know? Things may change over the years, and we might have to add more staff members. Right? Some people have carried a heavy load in these ministries at Live Oaks for a long period of time. And we may need to bring some other people on to lighten that load, to build a structure or a trellis, as my dad likes to say, that can support healthy growth of a vine. We might have to do that, but that takes money. It does. It takes that. I want you to value it. I want, I want the church and the mission of the church to be valuable to you, to be important to you. And to see it as, as this is part of my role and part of my discipleship is to value this and to give toward this. And trust me, I'll come for your time and resources later, but today I'm coming for your money, okay? So, so I want you to give and partake and to take your role in the ministry of Live Oaks as a member of Live Oaks financially. Because it, it takes money, unfortunately. It does. And I'm not trying to get some big, huge uh, salary, I promise, all right? But I see it as, you know, there's been some people that have carried a heavy load for a long time, and they can't do that forever. And it's not even healthy to do that forever. And we have to bring on other people. And we want to value, you would want to be valued, right? You don't want to do something for free, right? You've got to spend a bunch of time, right? You'd want maybe some compensation, all right? And we want to value them as well financially. I want you to value the ministry of Live Oaks. Lastly, I want you to play your part in the Live Oaks body. I love the imagery, the illustration of the body. Paul uses it all the time as it relates to the church. It's a body. It's Jesus' body. And again, as I told you, I love, I like my body. All right, I like to take care of it. And one thing I have learned so much about is that muscles tend to uh, deactivate right, over time based on different lifestyles. Different muscles will shut off. So for instance, sitting a lot will shut off your glutes. And that's an issue. That's a huge issue. Like, I kid you not, like probably 90% of back pain in America is because your glutes aren't firing. All right? They're not firing. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. All right? You got to do it. I kid you not. Sometimes flexing it is the way to do it. Like, you got to get them going. All right? But you got it all over your body depending on your lifestyle. Muscles are shutting off to become more efficient. And they're not working right. And so everything around it is picking up the load, and that's where you get injuries. That's where you get strains. That's where you get pulls. That's where you get tears. Is because it's doing too much work because something is not doing its job. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we are a body. And whether you like it or not, you're a part of the body. All right? And naturally, certain body parts just do more. All right? They do. Quadriceps, glutes, hamstrings are going to do a lot of the work. But golly, you got these little muscles all over the body. Talk to John or, or Hannah or golly, uh, Rachel. I, I, should, I always start naming people. I'm like, this is a bad idea. I'm going to miss somebody that's in the medical field. All right? But you'll notice you got these small little muscles. Boy, if they're not strong, if they're not doing their job right, boy, they will create such an issue down the chain, and it will be such a problem. We all have to do our part. We all got to do our part. We're a healthy body, all right? We want to be a healthy body. We want to be a healthy, well-rounded body that can run its race well. I believe God has a race for Live Oaks Church. He has a race for us to run together. In order to run this race well, it will take all of us. And it will take all of us financially, okay? It will. It will. It's just inevitable. And the mark of a healthy body is everybody taking their role. It's everybody playing their part in it. It's everybody growing together. Everybody moving together. And boy, this race, our performance in this race isn't about us making a name for live oaks. It's not about us making something, building something unto ourselves so that we feel good about ourselves because we go to the happening church where all the cool stuff is happening and all the growth and the excitement is going. It's not about that. It's not. No, we want to build, we want to run this race, we want to perform efficiently and well-roundedly because why? Because there's people all around us suffering. People all around us in our communities, all around here in Wichita that desperately need Jesus. And as Spurgeon said, man, if sinners be damned, then they will have to walk over my dead, weeping body. Boy, I love Spurgeon. Golly, if sinners be damned in this Wichita area, and they will have to walk over live Oaks' dead, ruined body. And they will have to walk over all of our money that we put into trying to keep them back. And we will spare no expense to do that because it's worth it. Because it's more worth it and more valuable than having one more toy or one more vacation, or one more whatever. And I'm, believe me, I'm not saying I'd take a vacation. I have a vacation plan this summer, okay? And golly, I have a bug, a Volkswagen Beetle that is a money pit, all right? And I love it, all right? So I'm not saying up here I'm some, like, saint of money, all right? But boy, do I want to keep growing in the grace of giving, and boy, do I want to keep, keep giving towards what I value and what's ultimately purposeful. I think somebody being saved from hell is probably more purposeful and more important than my cheese. That's hard. hard. Now, of course it is. And man, if I have to give up my, my cheese for it, then okay, I will. But man, it's because of our faith. We value the mission of the church, and we see it as supremely important in our lives. We can't love Jesus without loving the church. You can't do it. The church is Jesus' body. You can't love one without the other. You can't. And golly, I know sometimes it can be difficult to give to something that you're like, maybe isn't perfect, right? 
Sometimes when we give to someone, we want it exactly the way we want it. And that's the only way I'm going to give to it, is if it's exactly the way I want it. And I know, guess what? There ain't one church out there that's going to be doing it exactly the way you want it. And that's a good thing. It's actually a really valuable thing. Because again, the, the heart of all of this, and really the last key, that in order to give like the Antiochian disciples, boy, you have to take your eyes off yourself. It's a theme that I keep coming back to time and time again. I don't think we can ever get past that. You can never outrun your vision of yourself. If your eyes are all about you, if your life is all about you, if your money is all about you and what you want to do with that money, you're going to have a hard time ever getting past that and ever going any further with Jesus. Boy, the Antiochians weren't thinking about their, their Roth IRAs. And I say that because I have a Roth IRA, okay? All right? And that's a, that's a conviction towards me. They weren't thinking about that. They were thinking about now and those Judeans that were suffering now and they gave. They were thinking about the church and they were thinking about the mission of Paul and Barnabas. And they were thinking about now and they're going. And golly, as Proverbs says, the children of a giving man or woman or family have never gone hungry. I love that Proverbs. I forget where it's at. They've never gone hungry. And It's a Wonderful Life is a great movie of a guy who gave, 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 and you see how it all came back to him. Man, God will take care of you. I promise He will. I promise He will. And boy, I, I don't, don't test the Lord, but prayerfully seek the Lord. And if He's encouraging you to give, and to give abundantly, but you're like, Grant, i got rent. And if I give like this, I'm not going to be able to pay rent or these bills or I'm not going to be able to buy eggs, right? Man, just trust the Lord and see Him work and see Him provide and see Him take care of you. Man, I promise you. I hope, I hope this has been encouraging. Again, I just encourage you guys in the grace of giving. As I encourage myself, because I know I can grow just as much as anybody else in this. And I want to grow. Because I want to value the church. I want to value the mission of this Live Oaks. I am so proud to be a part of it. I am so excited about the things I see where the Spirit is moving and what is even possible and what can be helpful and what could be blessing to, to really effectively disciple people. It's exciting. It's a blessing. I want you guys to all be a part of it. Let's all do it together. All right. If, if half are doing it, if just the quadriceps are doing their job and everything else, then we're not going to run very far. We're not going to get that far. But man, if we're all working together, playing our part, doing our thing, man, people, our community will be blessed. And that's what it's about. We want to bless, bless our community. We want to see Jesus' kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful. Um, so grateful, God, that you're so good to us. We're so grateful, God, uh, for your word and its encouragement. And God, we just pray for your help. Money's a tough thing. It's a hard thing. It's very tempting. We have a big vulnerability spot, all of us, to it. And God, we just pray for your leadership, your Holy Spirit to lead us. How should we give? And God, help us not to be afraid. Help us to walk by faith and to trust you. However it is, whatever it is, however big, however small, whatever it is, God. Help us to grow in the grace of giving financially. Help us to grow in this lifestyle characterized by giving. 
God, help us to trust You with the future. Help us to trust You with our our well-being when we hit retirement and past retirement. God, help us to trust You with the bills coming next month. And, 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 and God, just uh, all the other things that we want maybe and, and different things like that. God, help us, help us to follow you and to trust that, God, if, if you don't have that for us, then, God, oh, you have something better. And, boy, I think a life characterized by giving is probably far more valuable, far more peaceful, far more beautiful, God, than anything else. So, God, help us. Encourage us this morning. God, we thank you for how you have blessed Live Oaks Church for 24 five and a half years and how you have always been our Jehovah provider and how you have always, always been there. And God, we just want to keep responding to your faithfulness with even greater faithfulness on our part. We just want to keep growing in our faithfulness to you, God, and keep breaking the chains of money on our lives so that we do not serve two masters, but only one, and that's you. Help us, God. Empower us, Lord Jesus, we pray. And God, may You give us wisdom and discernment, Holy Spirit, where this money can go and where we can bless our community, where we can grow disciples, where we can encourage people, where we can bless and be a blessing, God, and continue to build Your kingdom. And God, bring, build Your name, not Live Oaks, and not any person in Live Oaks, but Your name, God. We bring glory to You. God, we love You. We praise You, God. It is a joy to give to You. For You have given us everything that we have. We love You, Lord. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Hey, probably five minutes? Yes, I think about five minutes. All right, hey, five minutes. Hit the restrooms real quick. All right, go quick. Of five minutes, we need you back in here because we're going to go through that budget. So if you're a tithing person or you're gonna be a tithing person this year all right and you're 16 years or older 